Hi everyone, it's a pleasure that so many of you found their way here uh, despite outside playing the DJ and it's Friday afternoon and all are up for the party. Um, so just to get everybody in the mode, imagine that you would have to set up a project about digital skills building for girls and women, but there are some challenges. Where you live, being online seems to appear at first sight the least of a problem because where you live, local and nationwide conflicts might be going on for years. Where you live, you have no secured power. Uh, there are power out outages all the time. Where you live, there are still many people who cannot even read. Uh, girls and women being educated is probably um, yeah, still the exception than the rule. And where you live, being online is actually a luxury. So the question is, with all these challenges ahead, how, what can you do and how can you work to overcome that and still make projects like that work? And I hope that you are excited as me, that today we will have the pleasure to welcome four very inspiring guests from very different countries of the world with us who will tell their stories as female entrepreneurs, how they manage to build up tremendously inspiring projects about digital skill building in fragile contexts. So, but before we start with the... Um, before I start with that, let me quickly introduce you what's going to happen during the next hour. So first, we will have uh, another input session from uh, the host of, one of the hosts of the session, Dr. Katrin Bornemann, who works as the Digital Commissioner for the Federal Ministry of Economic Cooperation and Development. After that, we will hear the project pitches of our three inspiring projects that we have in a Pecha Kucha format, which means that they have 20 slides with 20 seconds each, and they will have a very quick run through each of the projects. And then we will go into a panel discussion. So we will not do a Q&A after each and every talk, but what we will have prepared for you is that you find note, uh, little note uh, post-its on your seats um, or somewhere in your row, and also pens, I guess. And so whenever you come up with a question during one of the talks, um, just feel free to note it down. And my colleagues, uh, Marina and Johanna, raise your hands quickly, uh, they will go around and you can... And, uh, they will collect them, and then we will integrate them into the discussion so that we can hopefully answer most of the questions that you have. So, um, who are the projects that we have here today? We are very happy that we have uh, Eva Yai from, uh, and Yine Yenki from uh, Time to Shine ICT from South Sudan. Um, we have Dr. Neila Fahed, with, uh, who will present Tapshura in a Box, which is a Lebanese project that develops alternative educational resources through technology. And we have uh, Ifad Jill, uh, founder of code to change uh, who will tell the story how she provides women access to internet and digital technologies in Pakistan. Um, yeah, and so now we will jump start into the input session. I would kindly ask uh, again Dr. Katrin Bornemann uh, to our stage to welcome you and give some introductory words. Thank you very much, Laura. <clears throat> uh, I was giving an introduction uh, yesterday and I was so nervous that they didn't give me a hand mic because I was shaking all the time. Uh, it got better day by day. Um, I'd like to welcome you uh, on behalf of the, federal, uh, of the German Federal Ministry for Economic Cooperation and Development. I'm very happy that so many of you uh, came to the session. And I'd like to give a special thanks to DJ Motta outside for providing the soundtrack to our session today. Thank you. Um, well, uh, why are we actually doing this? Um, when you were walking around the Republika, you saw the decoration they had, right? They had the bubbles hanging around. 
And in the last session that we were uh, giving, I was actually referring to this because I think that us here, when I look at you in the, in the audience here, we're very much in that bubble and we're very much just, you know, thinking, I think, inside a bubble. So our job or what we wish to do, what we want to challenge you is to step outside the bubble and also have a look at the other, the other perspectives, also have a look at the developing countries and what is digitalization actually doing there. So um, this morning, um, me and my husband, we were in a, uh, in here very close by in a hotel and the fire alarm got off at 7 uh, a.m. and we went out last night. So uh, we were asleep and the fire alarm uh, took off. And you know what I did? The first thing that I did was like, I didn't, you know, I don't know, grab a jumper or grab my suitcase. The first thing I grabbed was my mobile phone. And so we were all, you know, uniting outside the hotel and everybody had their mobile phone. So this little thing is actually something that we're really depending on. Um, and that reminded me so much. I was on a business trip the, uh, the other day and we went to Manila and we had a workshop there. And um, there was a lady and she said, um, she was actually late and um, she said she was apologizing. And I said, um, yeah, so what happened? And then she said, yeah, you know, um, I received a phone call from my auntie last night and she is living in a place uh, a bit far away and she was calling me and telling me that her husband is uh, actually beating her up and that she's scared of her life and that she had to go there to, to take her to, to bring her to a secure place. And that really shows that us using the mobile phone, we're so busy on WhatsApp and Instagram, but mobile phones, digital devices can really save lives in other parts of the world. And so, and also here, of course. And this is actually what the panel is about, to see how can we use tech to promote uh, female issues, to promote females to uh, close the gender gap. And... Um, I think this is really it. Um, I'd like to hand over uh, to you, Laura. And um, yeah, good luck with the panel and uh, enjoy the discussion. Thank you very much, Katrin. So the next block is dedicated to our project presentations. And uh, once again, also for the people who just entered the room, if you have questions, note them down on the post-its that you find on your seat or in the row, maybe someone has them. And uh, if you have them, also just raise your hand when my colleagues come around and collect them, and we will integrate them in our panel discussion after the talks. And now I think it's time for what we've all been waiting for, the project presentations from our guests. And we will start with Eva, uh, Eva Yei from uh, Time to Shine ICT in South Sudan. Welcome. Hello, so my name is Eva Yai, yes, so um, who we are, GoGirls ICT is a South Sudanese founded uh, local NGO and uh, we were founded in the year 2015, so it's founded by two ladies from the background of computer science and we mentor girls and women about ICTs, so we use this uh, philosophy of uh, engaging. We engage girls in uh, talks related to ICT, and then we educate them. We teach them how to use digital devices. We teach them how to do programming, and then they get empowered. So when they get empowered, they, are, they become confident and very um, independent, and they're able to express themselves freely in their communities and create different stories. 
So um, it's basically about using technology and making it fun for these uh, uh, women and girls in South Sudan. So um, we have a diverse team. We have mentors who are university students from computer science and IT background. And then we also have professionals who train these mentors, and they are basically from computer science and IT. And they also lecture at the National University of South Sudan, Juba University. So we use a chain-based kind of training. The mentors from university are trained by the IT and computer science professionals. And then they go down to secondary schools and primary schools, and they are able to pass on the knowledge that has been given to them to these uh, um, girls in, um, in, the sorry, in the primary schools. So last year we had a project called the TOS ICT Time to Shine project, where we had 24 participants from two primary schools and two secondary schools who were mentored by five selected men mentors from a university school. So uh, they were trained in uh, um, Scratch programming, which uses a graphical user interface, and they were able to tell their stories using Scratch animation. Stories ranged from violence, they ranged from uh, 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 malaria, hygiene, and what happens in their communities back home. So they were able to express themselves through programming and storytelling. So uh, we usually give these trainings in um, some closed settings sometimes. We have classrooms, and then we have a mentor with uh, one laptop for a group of students from each school. So one student, sorry, one mentor, and then uh, maybe five students per laptop, and they are able to um, give the trainings um, on those laptops. But uh, sometimes it becomes challenging because uh, the, t the laptops are not available, and uh, the trainings are sometimes displayed on, uh, on monitors and uh, on projectors so that um, uh, the students can see. Because sometimes there are general um, discussions, general lectures. Uh, sometimes the IT and computer science professionals come in and they do general uh, mentoring with the other mentors and the students. So we display um, the presentations on the projectors. And then sometimes we have the personal laptops, like I said earlier in the previous slides. So these students are able to tell these stories, to create the stories, and they're able to visualize and see how to, uh, to um, tackle the problems in their societies. But the challenges we face are electricity is a big problem. We don't have a national grid, so most of the time we use solar. But sometimes it's very difficult. At one point, we had to take our laptops to a public charging place and it got stolen and we've never recovered it. So it was a very challenging issue, but uh, we had to go on with the trainings. And other times we don't have space. The space that we book is also used by other students since it's at the university. So as you can see, they sit under trees and they have to share laptops, they have to stand, and it's a bit inconveniencing, but they are eager to learn. They come very early and they try to use alternatives, like the mentors use their smartphones and they're able to um, present and they're able to try and they, they load Scratch on their phones and they're able to program and write some of their stories on, on these smartphones and other alternatives. 
So in the end, these girls are empowered. They are able to um, express themselves freely, as you can see. They interact with each other. They are from different schools, primary schools, secondary schools, and they are able to share their experiences. They are able to talk about what happens back in their communities, what happens back in their homes. And they are also able to stay in school because with this project we had competitions and we were able to select the best projects and we, we are paying their tuition for one year. So they are very excited and as you can see, um, they, are, they are eager to be in school. And their um, head teachers and other teachers have, uh, see a lot of changes in them. The students actually want to be in school. Initially, they didn't want to attend school. Most of them were thinking of marriage as an alternative because that way their husbands can take care of them. But now they want to stay in school and they want to be like us. So uh, most schools are actually now asking. They want to join. They want to uh, be part of the project, although because of limited resources, it's a bit difficult to bring in a lot more schools since what we were working on was more of a pilot project. But uh, we are pushing on and trying our best. So they won't be disappointed. This year, next month, we are starting a new, um, a new phase of the Time to Shine. And uh, we've actually added more schools. We have up to 50 participants and 10 mentors. So we've expanded to 10 more schools. And thank you very much. Thank you very much, Eva. And we will right jump into our next presentation. So next on stage, we have Naila Fahed, uh, who founded the NGO Lebanese Alternative Learning. And she will talk about her project, uh, Tapshura in a Box. Welcome, uh, Naila from Lebanon. I have first aid tools in case I forget something. I was very stressed about 20 seconds. 20 slides, so I will try. <laughs> Go. <laughs> so I'm Naila, I come from Lebanon, where we have six, uh, two million refugees for a population of six million. Uh, so I'm here to present the Tapshura project. Tapshura means Kreide in German. Our project started at hospital. Lama is a 12-year-old girl. She was undergoing treatment. She was demotivated. She had gaps, and she thought about dropping out. And she used our digital platform, Tapshura is a digital platform, to study from her bed while recovering, and now she's back to school. Jawad is 12. He lives in one of the remote areas of Lebanon, Beka. He often is absent from school to help his father in agriculture, and he wants to be a tech geek. So Jawad uses our platform in home at night to compensate classes he has missed. Asma is five. She's one of the 408,000, no, 408,000 Syrian refugees' uh, children in Lebanon. She couldn't enroll in a formal school, so he uses our platform to acquire basic literacy and numeracy and be able to go back to school. So for all those children, uh, education, uh, schools are not the only answer. 
They need meaningful learning. They need tailor-made solutions adapted to their needs. And digital can definitely be one of those solutions. But as we know, digital, so you added a picture, in fact. No? <laughs> so as you know, digital can be taught in a, in a, in a very uh, uh, Victorian-style way. It's not enough to say digital. We have to change the mindset of the student, the teacher, and the community. This is why we often go to the field. We work closely with the field to better understand the need and the challenges uh, uh, remote area community face. So this is a center with uh, Syrian refugee children. We digitize the school curriculum, the Lebanese school curriculum, but we strongly believe that extracurricular activities are as important as curricular activity. We think this, in introducing culture, this is where we stop uh, extremism. And so we also develop extracurricular activities about arts and many things. How do we do that? We have a pedagogical team with the cat, he's part of our team. So we have a pedagogical team, uh, and we, we, we use this technique, we say linking generation. So we have young developers, and we link them with uh, subject matter experts. The young developers, they have the know-how on, on a topic, they have the creativity, and the pedagogical senior expert will help them uh, on the pedagogical side, he will, they will help them uh, construct uh, a unit. So, as you can see, uh, we had two challenges in pedagogical development. So, the first one was adapting to the context. As, as you could have seen in my last slide, <laughs> Uh, adapting to the context doesn't, doesn't mean cliché. Adapting to the context doesn't mean a woman has to be veiled because you are in an Arab country, or she can answer questions, she don't only cook. And uh, we also have to adapt to the mindset and introduce step-by-step step our digital. This is our tech, this was our tech team, our tech team have developed innovative, uh, creative solution to answer no electricity, no internet. So it's uh, called Tapshura in a box. It is based on a Raspberry Pi technology. It's a tiny, it was a tiny server. I will, I will do that. <laughs> but now you can see how we do it. It's, it's, uh, it's a workshop also. So live workshop, do the box. <laughs> Undo and do the box. <laughs> So Tapshura, is, uh, Tapshura in a Box is a tiny server based on a Raspberry Pi technology and uh, all our content is on, is on a micro SD card. So it's very easy change. It's a very low cost solution. A box costs less than $100 and it allows to hotspot uh, 30 devices anywhere, no internet and no electricity because we add a power bank. We put all our digital library on this micro SD card, and when we upgrade it, we change the micro SD card. We do not change the whole system. Currently, we are uh, leading a project with Malala. This is Malala in our offices with the Malala Fund. The project name is 
uh, girls can count. The idea is to go against the social prejudice that consider uh, girls uh, not able to do in uh, digital and mass as boys. And uh, for, for, for this, we are using <coughs> an opposite of what you can think. Girls go to school in secondary level more than boys in refugee community. Boys, when they reach teenage, are taken out of school. Girls stay at school until they get married, so longer. And uh, usually they are uh, taught uh, vocational. So they learn how to cook, how to sew, how arts and craft. And lately they introduce coding in lots of centers because it's a trend. And so we, the, our idea in Girls Can Count was to use this computer labs in the center and to introduce STEM skills for girls. Empowering girls with STEM skills will widen uh, their uh, opportunity. And uh, this is my last slide, but I will, I will conclude. I didn't finish. <laughs> so it took us, until now, it took us four years to get uh, Tapshura to this level. We had successes, we had failure, failures, and we learned from our failure as from our successes. Uh, what do we still want uh, to achieve? What do we, to have a greater impact, to scale it up? We want to finalize the content. We want to develop more content. We want to create uh, a system to learn sciences and math in a foreign language. This is how we learn in Lebanon. We learn sciences and math in French, as you ha might have heard and in English, so we use a foreign language. We want to, to scale it to other countries also, because we, our model is replicable. How to, to do that? We strongly believe into collaboration. Tapshura is a personal initiative of like-minded uh, pedagogical uh, people. And uh, we, uh, to scale it up, we strongly believe in partnership, partnership with uh, sponsor, with not only with funders, with funder, of course, but also with other organization worldwide, other people having ideas, other solutions, volunteers, and thank you. <laughs> thank you very much, Naila. Excellent. Yeah, and last but very much not least, uh, let's give a warm welcome to Ifa Jill from Pakistan, who will talk as the founder of Code to Change Program Your Future. Hi, everyone. Uh, good afternoon. Thank you all for coming and joining us for this session. Thank you to GIZ and BMZ for inviting me for this uh, uh, panel. Uh, I'm the founder of The Code to Change. Um, we are working in two regions. We started a um, long time ago, in 2011, in Pakistan, actually, uh, finding ways to connect educated women of Pakistan uh, and finding ways to connect them to the workforce. The, the challenge that we are addressing specifically was that there, were, there are women who are talented and they do want to work, so the social barriers and the cultural barriers, at that point we don't have to worry about them too much uh, for, in case of these women. All they needed uh, was um, connection to the, or access to the labor market, but because everything was being digitalized and they did not have anywhere to go to learn that digi the digital skills to join the labor market, um, so that's the project that we started in. 
Okay, is this, is this the second or first slide? Third. Okay. Uh, if we can go to this, the 2011 slide, uh, uh, and I promise we'll just run through them back. One more. Um, yeah. Yeah. So as you can see, in 2011, when we, this was when we uh, first set up our community technology center for women in a small city called Leia, and the target audience was rural areas from around the city. Leia, it's in the smack middle of Pakistan. Um, but despite the fact that it's in, in right in the middle of uh, Punjab province, um, it still had the same issues like some of our um, friends from um, other countries mentioned here, um, from African countries. There was a power problem. So for 18 hours straight, we would have no power. Um, there was transportation issues because these women had to travel a long time to come to that center. So we did manage to set up that center, but there were just so many problems um, that then stopped it from, from running. Um, so then we experimented a bit with uh, what we see in the next image through online mentoring um, to see if we could use, because um, it was really hard to find female trainers and that's one of the challenges. We needed female trainers for these women because of the cultural barriers. Um, so we managed to find a way to, con to connect them to online mentors who could teach these girls who were really interested to join the workforce um, and then we came to the conclusion um, that uh, both of these models um, they, it has to be some form of blended thing so we developed the code to change program in Amsterdam originally where we were actually raising awareness about the project that we were doing in Pakistan and what happened was uh, that women in Amsterdam um, they, the women in tech they really wanted to teach others, these are our mentors of course, on how to become part of the digital workforce. And at the same time, there was a demographic in, um, in, the, in the Netherlands that wanted to actually access to digital um, uh, opportunities in the labor market and wanted to learn the same skills. So originally we started the Code to Change uh, in Amsterdam. As soon as we um, started uh, our application process, um, all of a sudden we got applications from all over the world and we were really surprised to see how much the demand of this program is because uh, we're talking about women who are at a stage where they either for some reason dropped out of workforce uh, for some time or they are stuck in traditional roles and they want to upgrade their skills because right now the digital the the mar job market demands that you have um, specific skills if you want to stay relevant to the to the job market so we tried to work with the um, uh, IT industry of course because that's a key stakeholder because that's where the bulk of the jobs are um, so what uh, IT industry was really uh, collaborative with us so here you can see our uh, mentor from uh, uh, our partner company uh, mentoring or you know this is a photo from our digital skills bootcamp uh, teaching one of the women uh, who are um, who are trying to get back into the workforce this is a very integral part of our digital skills bootcamp training because if you're on the computer all the time you know you need this I mean I would have if I had more time I would have asked you all to stand up and do this with me you know <laughs> really Zen um, <laughs> So now we're taking this solution, this collaborative solution that we have of um, going through an actual digital skills bootcamp and a digital skills conference, which is followed by a three month online mentoring program where we connect um, women uh, in a remote, uh, remote region on, in northern Pakistan. 
uh, and connect them with mentors from Europe. Well, mostly uh, with our uh, IT or uh, Women in Tech Network in uh, Netherlands. And um, uh, what we see uh, in Pakistan as we've started to work there is more and more people uh, because the challenges are a bit different than uh, the European context. Uh, a lot of the women in Pakistan are not necessarily allowed to, to go uh, and do work outside of the house. But luckily now technology has allowed us, uh, given us the opportunity that you can work from home if you know the way, uh, you know, to how to go about it. So um, uh, what, we saw, what we see in Pakistan, in our work in Pakistan, women are really interested uh, in working in, as freelancers, for example. There are many opportunities online. And most of all, they want to start their own businesses. So what they're doing, or uh, what we're hoping to do through our digital skills bootcamp is uh, give them the right skills to build their own technological solutions um, so that they can start their own businesses. That's what the focus is in Pakistan. And this is something that came from the women themselves. We did not bring this solution to them. This is what came out of the conversations that we had with those women. They, they all want to, not all, majority of them want to start their own business. Majority of them want to be financially independent. And that is something where technology can play a big role and programs like Code to Change, um, they can play a big role. So um, uh, if, I don't know if my time is up. Okay, great. Um, uh, so. Um, we are still trying to figure out um, the specifics. Uh, one of the challenges is that, like Naila mentioned, the, or, and our other panelists also mentioned, um, there is this challenge that women are more comfortable in this specific region to go and learn at places, or we call them safe spaces, where they have, um, where their families would be comfortable sending them to. So it has to be, unfortunately, a female-only space with female instructors, and that's where they feel more comfortable learning. And this is also something we saw in our project in Amsterdam as well. Um, this is a, an image actually to, to show you the, the range of age groups that, that apply, the, the women who apply to our program because really there is no, we believe throughout, and we've demonstrated it through our program, there's no age limit to start a new career or to start learning a new skill. Um, and these are an idea, just to give you an idea about where we kind of got the interest from to, uh, to start. So this is the demand. Um, and I think, um, yeah, there's a lot of work to be done in this, in this field, you know. Um, can we move on to the next slide? Um, and then um, what we also need to do, and I would like to conclude with this, the solution is that we empower the local uh, leaders so, uh, so that they own the solutions that they are building. They own, um, this, and, and they need to be part of discussions like this, of course. This is a demo, the last image was a demonstration of how, uh, because we go and speak to um, uh, international audiences, this is one of our um, uh, female leaders from Pakistan that we are working with, and she's actually invited to speak at the World Summit on Information Society in Geneva. This was two years ago. So this is also something that we think that is really important step, that we also not only empower these leaders, but we also highlight them and uh, multiply the impact. Um, I look forward to your questions during the panel discussion. Thank you all for listening. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Ifat.
so now we are slowly entering into the discussion. So I would uh, first of all um, ask our three panelists uh, up on stage, Ifat, Naila, and now we also have Yine Yenki, who will represent Time to Shine ICT uh, from South Sudan on stage. And uh, yeah, whoever has a question, please hand them around in your post-its. Um, yeah, and I think in the meantime, we'll just start with our discussion. Uh, I think I'm, I speak for all of us in the room and I say, you, the three of you, you are a great inspiration to all of us. And uh, it's really great what you have achieved so far. Um, yeah, and so let's start a bit talking about uh, the term of digital skills in general, because I think this is a very broad term. So digital skills skill can mean being on the internet, being online in general, but it can also go up to coding yourself. So if you, um, based on your experience, what are the most important digital skills girls and women need to learn in order to better their situation? And we have another microphone here, so who wants to start? Uh, I, I think in, in our experience and in the, during the course of our work, um, I think you should just go straight to the stakeholders that are really important in this case. We just went straight to the, in, uh, the IT industry where the jobs are actually and started the discussion there. Okay, what are the relevant skills? In and you have to keep in mind that every region is different, even every city is different. So there could be different demands in that cities. Um, uh, so you have to go actually and do that um, skill holder, uh, stakeholder analysis and skill assessment to see what are the most relevant skills in that region that uh, people can make use of and learn uh, in order to actually be relevant for their specific job market. So I think that's, I, I think that's uh, most important, I would say. In our project, we use only open sources to keep it low cost. So we mainly use Moodle platform, and now we have integrated uh, uh, plugins from a wonderful Norwegian team uh, at Ramso at the end, end of Norway. They are called H5P. It's an open source. Somebody do digital, I, <laughs> I advise you to check them. And it's very, very user-friendly, so we really need basic uh, computers, very basic computer skills to start, and we can give this basic computer skills. But as we discovered, while starting using digital, uh, the, the, the women get very quickly, uh, the girls get very quickly skilled in using digital, and they discover more and more functionalities. Thank you. From our experience or from our perspective, when I look at South Sudan, we have poor infrastructure, poor development. So when I look at digital skills, it, it cuts from being online to offline. It cuts from being network, I mean from networking to telecommunications to programming. So from our side and from, from our perspective, all the skills are necessary. Thank you. Okay, great. Um, and I think all of you already talked a lot about the challenges that you overcome, and we are talking like one of the frames or terms in our title of the session is fragile context. And I think we are talking here about circumstances that many of us have never experienced and cannot even imagine. So maybe to condense that one more, once more. Um, so what, what should specifically be taken into consideration when implementing digital skills trainings for girls in these kind of fragile contexts that you experience in your countries? Um, uh, I think when we started our work in Pakistan, A, I, I belonged to that community and I had already worked in the, in the local communities and in the local uh, 
cultural context. And, and the first thing we did when we restarted the Code to Change project in Pakistan is that we went and uh, spoke to all the women-led initiatives that were uh, already going on. And I think this is also very important that you talk and include in the discussion that there are already wonderful initiatives going on on the ground in many, many countries now, even including countries like Pakistan. And I think it's important that that's where we we go and start because the local people, they know the problems, they know the issues. Most likely, they also have the solutions. They just don't have the right resources or the right mentoring and guidelines to reach that goal that they need to, to reach to. So I think that's really important to, to include the local leaders in the conversation. Uh, I would say it's mainly three kinds of resistance. The resistance of the community when we speak about girls, internet is the devil. They can meet boy uh, going through internet. And uh, so uh, the offline solutions solve part of this problem. The second resistance in the refugee area is administration and the teachers. Because as often considered as guinea pig, Every INGO, everybody who have an idea want to try it in a vulnerable community and I think they are fed up with experiences. And teachers, they are stressed, they don't want no more uh, skills to develop, they just want help. Help us, do not give us more tasks to do. And this is uh, the three kinds of resistance we, we face. So maybe a brief background before we kicked off with our TOS ICT project, Time to Shine. We used to have uh, open days where we almost showcase all skills from repairing to development to how to use applications and telecommunications and would invite teachers and policymakers and students so that they would see and understand. So when we kicked off with TOS project, at least we had a background to start from. At least the teachers had an idea of what we were doing because we also realized, just like the way she said, most teachers were telling us that so many organizations come, so many organizations promise them skills and nothing is being done. And maybe another resistance that we also got at the end was the parents actually we realized most parents were stopping the participants from coming. Well, we had a meeting with the teachers and with the mentors to demonstrate the skills they had learned so that they would know what their students are actually going to learn. But we realized at some point the communication between the parents and the, and the teachers was very poor. So that one also somehow hindered our progress. Thank you. I think uh, you know you just mentioned this very important point here that um, your skill trainings they tackle the individual person, but you're also helping entire communities with what you do, and you are trying to help them to ameliorate their uh, yeah their their situation. So, is there anything that um, you want to share about that uh, a little bit or elaborate on that? How you're helping your communities to go forward, and if there are specific things that you take steps uh, to also spread from the individual to the entire community. So maybe I can take on from there. So probably this year what we've resolved is uh, the 
students who are the winners of the previous competition, what we will do is we want to invite their parents to come and testify to other parents because initially in our communities, I think what parents expect is as a girl, you wake up in the morning, you have to do all the chores from morning until the sun goes down. So the next day is the same thing. So even when you're going to school, you have to wake up still early because that's required of you as a girl, preparing you for marriage. That's what they have in their mind. So we are looking at inviting the parents, inviting the teachers, and inviting the participants who have gone through our, prog through our program to come and actually present to the parents of the new participants so that they can see the impact and they can see the change. The fact that we are able to keep five girls in school, we don't take it for granted. And I believe they'll learn from that. Thank you. Uh, I said we link generation uh, in, in, in making. We also link communities. In Lebanon, you have also lots of uh, violence toward refugees. Refugees are too many. They take the jobs. Uh, they, 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 we have an economical burden due to, to, this re to, the, to the refugees. So making young people go to the field, understand the situation of a refugee, really see what are the challenges he is facing is like uh, linking uh, to, uh, to community and lowering, uh, hoping to lower violence. We have a lot of violence between Lebanese and Syrian in schools. Um, I think that's a tricky one, but um, um, the goal of uh, our, our project is basically to empower women economically. Um, and that is through bridging that skills gap so they can access the existing opportunities in the, in the tech world in the, in to, to become part of the digital economy. Um, I've been personally working in um, women empowerment sector for, for almost over 15 years. Um, and what I have come to conclusion as an activist, I think, is yes, there are other factors as well. There are social factors that we need to take care of. There are political factors and everything. But we decided to only focus on economic empowerment because what we noticed over the course of our work, once the woman is economically independent, a lot of the other issues, they, they kind of take care of themselves. I'm not saying they're not going to be challenges that they still need to take into account. Uh, professional women uh, in um, uh, uh, countries like Pakistan, for example, there are so many other layers uh, 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 in the societal fabric that they need to take care of. They need to be um, more productive also, not just at work, but also at home, taking care of the in-laws, taking care of the children. They cannot neg neglect those duties. So they have to build their own business or career on top of all that. So, But still, there are many, many examples where women are actually doing that and succeeding. I mean, we're hoping uh, our next boot camp, digital skills boot camp, is in June in, uh, in Pakistan. So we're hoping to feature many of those success stories and role models that we have in the society to, to empower these women who are now, um, you know, reaching out to us to join uh, the workforce. So, yeah, we're hopeful. Great. Uh, I think we have a first question from the audience. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, um, I think you know, already touched a little bit on it. Um, so, do parents and families support the women and girls to attend your projects? What are your experiences on that? Is that, is that for me? Or for anybody? I think any of them. Um, in our case, um, yes and no. 
Sometimes, yes, women are already motivated. So the women we are working with are um, women who've already been married, um, a lot of them, not all of them, of course. Um, so now they have to convince not the parents who are actually just waiting for them to get married, but the husbands now and possibly, you know, how am I convincing, how am I going to balance this with taking care of the children? Uh, it, uh, it does take some work, but yes, we got uh, for uh, the program that we are doing, we had uh, 50 seats, and the fact that we got over 100 applications for it from this specific region to us was very promising. Okay. I would also say yes and no. But we noticed that uh, education is very valued in our region. It's, it's something very, very valued. So yes, uh, they support uh, education for girls, but it should, be, uh, um, it, it should be related to an idea they have from educating girls. So education, yes, but in a traditional way, do not introduce things we don't understand. Uh, in our case, it's also yes and no. <laughs> but one life, real life example I can give is one of the students, one of the girls, we didn't know she was going through a personal problem. She was an orphan, which we didn't know. She was being taken care of by someone. And I think because of the conflict, the person left. And this girl has always been attending the program. So at some point she just reached, when she looked at us, she broke down and she started crying. So we were like, oh, today Priscilla is so worried, what's happening? So in, through our interaction with her and asking her questions, we realized this girl was going through a lot. She was actually lacking her basic needs. And she said the reason why she came today was actually one of the neighbors. It was a neighbor who told her, you go, maybe the lady or the ladies in this program may help you. And we went further to the school to find out how she was. And the teachers told us much less the same experience. This girl struggles with so many things. Even school fees, she struggles. Sometimes she... She, she doesn't even attend class because she lacks always. And we were like, okay, we didn't know that. So we realized at some point it was more or less like creating a one-on-one -on -one interaction rather than being more of tech, but they also got a chance to share their experiences because I think in this mentorship, it reached a point that they have trust in us. We are much less like age mates or we are much less in the same bracket. So they found it so easier to open to, one, to us than to someone they don't know. And also, the girls also finished, we realized when they have any simple problem at home, their parents actually call us and they say, oh, my girl is ABCD, maybe talk to her. So we realized somewhere we're also creating a relationship and we believe with this relationship, we'll also be able to model these girls into responsible women. Thank you. Okay. Um, so I think um, one of the things that we might hear also sometimes forget is what can be very sensitive is the content. And I think we talked about it also in our uh, talk uh, previous to this session. Uh, so maybe, may Naila, that's a session on, uh, or a question for you. Um, because you told me like content is a very sensitive thing. And so can you maybe elaborate a little bit on like whose content is being shared, how do you decide which content to produce, and what impact might have the right or wrong comp content have in your uh, project? Uh, in our project, we produce our own content from scratch. Uh, 
uh, there are two difficulties in the, in the context. Uh, lots of projects important ready-made content. The problem is of importing content is first it's not contextualized and so there are resistance to use it because they do not relate to neither the story nor the names nor the nature. And the, uh, the second resistance, as I was telling you, teachers do not want more work. So what we do is that we take the Lebanese curriculum, we take the books, we take the same title of the chapter, the same title of the section, and then we do our own content. But like this, the teacher only have two clicks to do. This is the chapter, this is the section, I will find related content. If they have to do one more click, they won't. So it's very important not to give them more work and not to expect, and this is very important to me, not to expect that teacher will become content creator. They are not supposed to. This is not what they studied, this is not their job. A lot of projects rely on teacher creating their own content using digital boards or, well, this will not happen. Uh, I think like, like Naila, we also build our own uh, curriculum uh, for the digital skills bootcamp, but at the same time, I have to say, there is a sea of content, learning content on, available online. Some of it is really good quality. The challenges our, uh, the women that we are working with was, were facing, and the, which became the basis of launching the Code to Change, was because of the question, where do I start? So they kind of have an idea, okay, I am a writer, I want to become a content writer, for example, or I'm interested in analytics, I want to, be, to move towards becoming a data scientist. But then they don't know, because they've never done it before, they're just coming back into the, into the world of, okay, now what do I do? So, the, so we help them ask, answer the question, where do I start? Um, so we help them navigate through that, um, and then, um, of course, we engage mentors who are actually specialized in that region and they come and guide the, the participants during the boot camp uh, what, are, what is the best way to move in that direction if you want to have a career in that. Okay. Um, yeah, and so I think uh, another thing, uh, issue that you already mentioned in your talks is the measure of safety and security. And what we already heard um, of you, uh, how you create the safe spaces for the women for your trainings in the offline world, but um, and, and for instance also by having female instructors, uh, instructors, etc. Um, but security does also reach into the online world, right? And so the question uh, would be: in How far do you already integrate like ex aspects of digital safety, for instance, in terms of privacy rights, protection of your own information, etc., in your programs? So actually, we have a dedicated workshop during our bootcamp and conference uh, to, uh, on the topic of digital security, uh, safety, and privacy online, um, which is even more um, relevant for the audience that we are working in with Pakistan because it, the, when a woman in general is, is stating a strong, strong opinion online, uh, no matter where in the world she's from, there are a lot of times that we see a lot of backlash. And it's even more dangerous in these contexts, um, uh, in, a, in a place like uh, the region that we are working in in northern Pakistan, uh, because it can actually have real 
implications which are harmful. Um, the, the person's right, life, for example, can be at risk. So this is something that we are taking into account uh, within our trainings as well, and we're involving the right trainers to address that as well. You know, you uh, told that you are also often um, have uh, first users in your program, so people have not been online yet before ever. So how do you deal with that? How do you prepare them for the online world? So through the TOS project, we've integrated a media literacy program, which runs till the end of the year in partnership with the Rock Agency, a uh, partnership with the Rock Agency, a proje project supported by the Civic. So what we do is we create much less like discussions or debates. And one of the first things we did was to find out how do these girls get online. And it was strange that every girl who was in secondary school actually had a mobile phone. And they are online. And yet we know data is very expensive in South Sudan. And phones too are very expensive. The economy is very terrible. So how do these girls actually get these phones? That was another interesting question. And it was, I can't say it was very unfortunate, but it was very fortunate that we found out some of these girls go into relationships to actually get these phones and also to get men who can sustain them so that they can always be able to be online and keep trends. And also with cases of... With cases of incitement of violence in South Sudan, which is very well known using social media, and the fact that these girls are online, we realize also what kind, some questions which we're asking ourselves is what kind of information now do these girls consume online? Because when you go online, there's a lot of hate information, there's a lot of insults, sometimes abuses. Well, there's sometimes good information, but how do they filter out the good and the bad? So in our project, we make sure or we are teaching them how to identify what they can consume and leave out what they cannot. And also, I think it will also expand to how we can empower them to be, to be economically to economically depend on themselves rather than to opt for men to sustain them. Because we've seen cases of early marriage, school dropout, which is very high in our communities. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I think we have another question from the audience. Um, have you faced the challenge of child, child or young marriage? And how do, you, how do you use technology to create awareness for that? Anyone of you answer that? So maybe through our project, child marriage is very common. You can start for, uh, when your parents, for example, fail to sustain you. The next thing is if a man or a suitor picks interest, cows are treasured in our traditions. So if they pick interest in you, the next thing a parent will let you know what? You just get married to so-and-so's son. We get the cows and we'll take care of you. And it's very common. But through our project, when a girl passes participate through the mentorship till the end. We pay for them in school and we also buy for them the scholastic materials. So basically they learn the technology, the technology skill or they learn the skill and at the same time after learning the skill we also keep them in school. And we've seen a positive response from the parents actually when the term ends they are the ones who call us and say so uh, my daughter performed like this my daughter excelled. So at some point it's like we are taking the burden off them and they are feeling a bit relaxed so the pushing I think I stopped there <laughs> okay uh, I think um, it's also time to open the room for the last uh, couple minutes once again so are there any more questions to our panelists that you would like to raise in the back there's a question so maybe you can just take my mic
Thanks. That was a great panel and wonderful examples. Um, I was a bit worried, though, because you were talking about taking content which already exists online. Um, what kind of licensing is that content? Is it part of OER? Is it open education resources? Or are you pirating it? And, uh, well, you didn't talk about it. You just said don't let the teachers create. In other educational uh, environments, teachers are creating content. So if you're taking content from online, what's the licensing regime? What's the implication once you put it back? Uh, we are not taking anything we are creating from scratch. Uh, so we have our own uh, pedagogical team. We create our, uh, our own content. Uh, uh, teachers in our area, just to explain why it was not aggressive toward teacher, I'm a teacher. Uh, teacher in our area, they have to teach two shifts. So they teach Lebanese, uh, Lebanese schools in the morning, then the Lebanese public school becomes schools for Syrian in the afternoon. So they have to ensure a second shift. They are overstressed, they are tired. They, and as I said before, they are often used for experiences. So every INGO, every who have an idea will come and try it. They have money, so the government will sign, and he will oblige the school to use. The, it's it's a it's a complicated uh, it's a complicated process. One we when we take what we take from others is uh, open sources images. We make sure it's open source and we can use it. And sometimes some videos because we do, do not have, I don't know, lions in Lebanon to show something about the carnivore. Yeah, I think, uh, I think regarding the time, we already have to start with our uh, little closing round. So I just have one closing question for all of you in one sentence. So if you had one wish for your project that you could now shout out, what is it? Um, I think we are, as we are now getting ready to launch our crowdfunding campaign to actually build a physical uh, center or safe space for women uh, in Pakistan, uh, I think um, we would like uh, all of you to look us up at Code to Change and uh, keep an eye on the campaign. Continue developing content until we, we, we do it all. <laughs> Excellent. Partnership and support. Two different ways. Thank you. Perfect. So, yeah. I'll First of all, uh, yeah, let's give a warm applause to our three panelists and, your, uh, and also to Eva, who's sitting here for the, for the project. So let's start with that. And then... yeah. And, yeah. and now I hand over to Katrin once again, who wants to wrap up and give some closing words. And then, but before you leave, we will take a, a selfie with all of us. So please stay in the room after that. <laughs> okay, you. Thanks, uh, thanks, Laura. And uh, thank you very much, uh, Ifat, Naila, and Gina, and also Eva here in the front uh, for, for breaking the bubble and widening uh, our horizon while looking at uh, Pakistan, Lebanon, South Sudan. I think this is really uh, something that we need here. 
Well, being online means uh, more than just sharing and liking and tagging. In many of our partner countries, it is actually about finding like-minded people for political issues. It is about having access to educational resources or uh, how we can sell our homemade artwork via an online platform. Still, I want to remind you all, there are still 250 million fewer women online than men. Especially in low-income countries, women remain overwhelmingly offline. In low-income countries, and this is a figure I was very surprised to hear myself, it's 94% of the female population is offline. And only 41% have an access to a mobile phone. So, I also want to stress what Nyla said, and uh, I found it an extremely important point. She said, um, we are fed up of being guinea pigs uh, in fragile context, um, give the power to the local people to actually develop local solutions. So, um, thanks for pointing out that. And um, let me just really quickly refer to one thing we haven't talked about. It's the eSchools for Girls initiative. The hashtag is there. That is an initiative that uh, my friends and colleagues, uh, Johanna here, uh, Birger, Roland, Norman, set up. And it was that we wanted uh, to urge the heads of states, uh, of the governments of the G20 countries, to actually uh, to agree to take action to close the gender digital divide. So if you have fi uh, time, uh, look it up. Um, what Gina said is also extremely uh, important. She was pointing out at the first users and Eva's, in Eva's presentation she had the candle there. That's the lack of electricity. We have to also focus on these kind of things. And so um, it's the basic obstacles. Lack of electricity, lack of affordable internet connection, lack of access to formal education and learning materials for instance. In South Sudan there are only 22.1 percent mobile cellulars, uh, the subscriptions per hundred inhabitants. So let me end by saying that we need to empower local uh, female leaders and let me thank you uh, from really from my heart for being role models uh, to all of us and I think we need to have more women like you and, and shine the spotlight uh, on initiatives that you promote. And we want to portray women like you to even have like a, a bigger outreach here. So please feel free to recommend to us to come to our stand at BMZ stand out there and recommend to us uh, role model women that we should portray to have a bigger outreach here. Thank you so much for being with us. Big applause. Thank you.